This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hey guys, and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pob, and with me I have Mr. Falcon. Ah. Oh boy, Falcon. You know, Shen Yu already invaded China. You don't need to scream anymore. <laughs> Sorry, buddy, I'm dying. I'm dying. Just getting, <laughs> just getting back. Got that, anyone who got that Mulan reference, you've got kids. Also, mm. with me, I have two bright, young, T.O. entrepreneur dudes from Australia, uh, Mr. Adam and Josh. How's it going? Howdy, guys. The only and, Adam and Josh in all of Australia. <laughs> we don't, they don't need any last names or anything yeah. like that. The only Adam and Josh worth knowing from Australia. <laughs> if you if you don't know uh, Adam and Josh, uh, they are no, actually this wasn't clear. Adam and Josh, maybe you guys can help me out here. Uh, Adam and Josh are the TOs for CanCon, the no. proprietors. Okay, no, they're just representatives. Not even. Um, Not even. The team at CanCon asked us to stream their event. Okay, and we are. I, I guess we've started up a bit of a. I don't know, what would you call it? An endeavor to try and get Australian uh, gaming on the map by you know streaming, creating content through Twitch and other medias. Okay. So, all right. So that, that makes sense now. That, that actually all, that explains why you guys have been talking to me about streaming and, and talking and stuff. You know, oh, we, no, we, we were just, we were just trying to write a novel. We thought oh, I see. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, if you, if you guys can just let me rewind a little bit, I'll introduce you guys again. <clears throat> and with me, I have the John Madden and Al Michaels of competitive 40 K <laughs> in Australia, Adam and Josh. Hey guys. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) An amazing introduction, thank you. (laughs) So, if you guys are listening to this episode, you're probably wondering what we're going to be talking about. Uh, We have actually five tournaments to talk about. uh, Five pre-LVO4 and the Eightfold Path, Peter. Oh, I I apologize. Yeah, that's all right. The Falcon doesn't see all when he's sick. It happens. It's all right. So we're going to talk about five pre-LVO tournaments that occurred, I, I believe, this past week, right? Did the Eightfold Path also happen this weekend? Sure did. Josh? All right. So five tournaments that happened this weekend. Uh, and then we're going to talk about uh, another tournament with an exciting partnership that uh, I don't want to spoil anything. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun there. And, and that's going to be CanCon. So we're going to talk about CanCon. Uh, and then, of course, we have the LVO and I think one or two other tournaments. Um, so things are definitely ramping up. We're getting a clearer picture of what we're going to see at the LVO. So that is definitely what we're going to be talking about is what the meta is shaping up to look like. Uh, Peter has a bold prediction he's going to talk about later. Um, and I don't know if he wants to talk about it, but I'm going to force him to talk about it anyways. 
And we're also going to talk about the coverage at events because, you know, with the charity stream that just happened and what's going on to happen at CanCon and with the LVO uh, and Jeff's uh, announcement uh, on last chapter tactics about doing the Nova stream again on top of that and potentially more streams ramping up uh, with talks of ATC and ETC ramping up their streaming. Um, there's going to be a, a lot of 40k to watch online so if you're a guy who can't go to tournaments uh or you know you don't do a lot of traveling or you just like watching people play 40k online it might get a little intimidating because there are a lot of sources uh it's not just twitch it's not just um live streams it's not just facebook live uh there's also podcasts to talk about it so we're going to kind of talk a little bit about um just what you what you guys need to know when you're tuning into 40k events it's kind of like a quick five minute how to 101 guide on watching and consuming 40k content online uh, I, I it's just something i think um some people might need to hear or some people might appreciate listening to well it's but before the, we it's oh, kind ahead. of the new frontier isn't it it's this kind of as the game's growing as the game's progressing and kind of it's growing exponentially in all directions and we're trying to get the media and the exposure to keep up with you know the size of events the changing in structure of missions and um just how everything is just so much bigger than it ever was before right and and you know there's no standard for it either right uh there's one tournament that was hosted all on facebook live uh whereas there's other tournaments that are hosted all on twitch and there's some mm. that don't host it on either of those two platform platforms but have videos on their websites themselves and it's everyone does it differently. It's not like the NFL where you just tune into NFL Network or CBS at this time and you watch a game and it just everyone knows like that's that's how you watch an NFL game. Although that's not true now because you know I did just watch the division or the conference championships on Hulu uh, and then you could also watch them live on Twitch now. So you know obviously the NFL is changing, but my point is is that with these new frontiers, everyone's going to start branching out and doing it their own way. Yeah, exactly. um, so it can get confusing. Absolutely. So now, so yeah. um, I don't know if you guys want to know about a bit how what me and, and Josh are trying to do a little bit differently. So we represent and we formed a kind of a Twitch channel and conglomerate called um, Down Under Network. And uh, so usually, what we're finding is people are, are getting like a couple of tos, a couple of people from their their community or friends of theirs to stream their events. Um, me and Josh are trying to setting, uh, set ourselves up as specific, dedicated uh, streamers. So we're trying to stream one GT level event per month, every month. And we're going to be a dedicated commentary and streaming team. So we're kind of, I don't know, we're, we're not kind of setting each other, ourselves apart, but we're trying to be consistent in what we produce and what we, we put out there. Just so the coverage nice. is, I don't know, something you can rely upon. It's not just like, oh, I've got a big event coming up. I hope they stream it. It's like, you know, it's there. Right on. And And so real quick, where would people find that? Would it just be like twitch.tv slash down under network or? Pretty much. But with okay. an underscore between the under and network. <clears throat> All right. So... With an underscore under under. Got it. <laughs> and uh, of course on a Facebook page, just uh, you know Google down under network and you'll get it. Okay. And that's actually something that no one's done yet so far. The, the Long War Network uh, were the first kind of 40K channel, quote-unquote. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to say the very, very first because there might be someone who tried it before them, but I will say that they're probably the most famous or the most well-known 40K channel, and they basically combined a group of people, um, streamers, and they're all on one Twitch team, and it's kind of like uh, like an actual channel. You have schedules and main mm. events and, and this and that and all these different people streaming from all around the country, um, probably even all around the world. 
and and you know that that's that was kind of the step in entertainment that 40k needed and now you guys are doing this down under network um and i don't see why someone else can't do something in america and if you guys any of my listeners watch x-wing or keep up with competitive x-wing i know like all 10 of you i know there's at least 10 of you (laughs) Uh, Gold Squadron podcast uh, ran by uh, Dion, who is an absolute champion, by the way. He travels all around the country streaming X-Wing events. He'll he'll set up his huge rig that he's got. He'll set up a top table or a table, and he'll stream, and he'll go to all these big X-Wing events and stream them. And he's like a one-man show. He gets people, volunteers and stuff that help him, but, you know, that's just all he does. So, you know, he is Adam and Josh, but combined. Mm-hmm. Uh well, that's a hell of a but, uh, spot, sure. Oh yeah, that's a that's a John Michaels or Al Madden. I have no combination. idea who these people are, but they, they sound like <laughs> <laughs> the American football fans all know. And I've heard the maybe name some John of the Madden non. Before. Have you? Yeah, mm. it's you know he's he's not a big deal out here he in the a, United States. Was he a coach? Yeah, he he was. He's a famous sportscaster, coach, NFL coach. He's probably. Yeah, exactly. The most famous sportscaster in football, you know, he's got a video he, game he series. He also played after. Warhammer, which we've been talking about. <laughs> oh yeah, he also played Warhammer. Uh, to keep it topical, because we have to. Uh, yeah, he he owned a. Um, I, I'd say he probably owned a Slanesh Demon Army. And he, um, uh, it's he, a lot of shouting and noise marines. I don't know. Discovered a country and named it. Had a species <laughs> of beetle named after him. Okay, let's let's move it back. Let's move it back. All right, all right let's move it back. Back it so, up. Before all this, announcements. I do have some announcements, guys. Um, I promise I'll be quick. The first announcement is the Patreon page is almost finished. Uh, go to patreon.com slash chapter tactics uh, to edit, or not to edit, to um, to look at the tiers and support the podcast. If you just want to start off, the basic tier is just $1 or more a month, uh, and that's just to help pay for the podcast, help uh, get some of the co-hosts like peter uh medicine so that they can feel better or also fly them down to events uh, to help them with their travel expenses it also helps get better equipment possibly a better audio program i know some people complain about the audio and i do my absolute best but i'm not a top tier you know audio quality person i don't even know the name of that job that's how bad i am at it um but i do my best and I do know that I could use some better audio programs or audio software to help with that. Some of the bigger audio issues that I have with some with recording and editing. Uh, it also helps just, you know, pay the lights or pay the keep the electricity on a little bit, you know, a little money in my pocket. If you want that first tier, uh, the second tier is the standard patron. And with that comes a monthly subscription to our Facebook page, uh, our Discord, like any future communities like a Discord. We don't have a Discord yet or anything else I think of, um, special Instagrams or I don't know, I don't know, whatever, whatever offers in the future that they might have. Uh, also, you will get entered into a monthly raffle for f- cool 40k prize- prizes like painted models, terrain, exclusive con stuff, uh, tournament entries into events, and whatever else I can get my hands on. Um, so if you just want to donate five dollars a month to become a um, so if you just want to donate five dollars a month to become a standard patron, you'll get it for a while. Uh, starting in February, we're gonna I'm gonna basically release everything and finalize the patron, and then I'm going to auction off or raffle off an Imperial Knight, a painted magnetized Imperial Knight. I haven't decided if I'm going to be the one who paints it myself or uh, I'm going to have someone else paint it depending on the price and how many patrons sign up. Um, So if you want to enter in the raffle and you want it to be a well-painted knight, try and get as many of your friends as possible to sign up to our Patreon. Um, 
And then there's uh, one tier which I, I need feedback on from you guys, uh, which is the pro patron at $10 or more a month. Um, I don't know what kind of benefits I could put into this tier, uh, but I do know that I want to give something special to people who consistently ask me for list advice or ask for list analysis or extra stat analysis or, or tournament coverage. Just um, I get a lot of questions that require me to go above and beyond um, my duties as a, a host to answer these questions. And um, sometimes when I when I set out the bad signal for list advice um, and critiques, a lot of people will just bombard me with emails and I'll actually spend hours and hours of my day just answering emails. Um, so which is why I've kind of been cutting back a little bit on um, ask, you know, offering list advice. And so uh, I decided, you know, if you guys, if you guys want to become pro patrons, I can just give you guys all that time and then it'll justify it more, you know, for my wife, like, okay, sorry, dear, I've got, you know, spend hours answering these emails, but I'll also take you out to dinner afterwards, you know, or not. Um, if that's something you guys want to, that's something maybe you guys want to, um, you're interested in and all that, the pro patron. I'm also open to feedback and ideas. If you guys think that $10 or more a month might be too much, too little, uh, let me know. If at you were paying or subscribing to a podcast for $10 a month or becoming a patron of a podcast for $10 or more a month, more a month what would you expect? Um, obviously, things like limited or exclusive content is something that our standard $5 more a month patrons would get. Um, but I'm new to this, and I'm hoping you guys can maybe give me some feedback. Just email me, frontlinegamingpdpob at gmail.com. And then so, finally, go ahead. So were you, were you saying that for 10 bucks a month, you'd take me out for dinner? Uh, sure, I'll do, I'll do a lot for 10 bucks a month, guys. Man, I think we should plumb the depth <clears throat> of what you're willing to do for 10 bucks a month, baby. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Send me emails, guys. Um, no, no, uh, no advice is bad advice at this point. Uh, and then finally, the Chapter Tactics VIP patron. We already have three people signed up for this. It's $50 or more a month. Um, and these VIPs get access to my personal private email, uh, live chats with me, and live chats with any special guests they might acquire. Uh, in addition to that, I help them build their 40k dream army. Uh, I send uh, my VIPs models that I get from the secondhand store or unbuilt models to help them build their dream armies every month. Uh, and basically, we work on... on making you a better 40k player uh, to go to tournaments and do really well with uh, and this is something i only limit it to five vips a month and if that's something you're interested in i do have two slots left uh, even though the patron hasn't officially started yet um, three people already did sign up for that uh, and uh, it's definitely going to be worth their while also if you're a to and you need help with your event if you need help with ter with terrain um getting your your event's name out there, uh, list advice, getting good players to come to your event, etc. The VIP option is also an option for you as well. Uh, I do have a proven track record of getting numbers and getting people into events and, and hyping up events. So if you're serious about that, email me frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail.com if you have any questions, or you can sign up and we can go from there. Whew, that was a lot longer than I thought it would. Man, asking for money is hard, guys. It is. You did a good job. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Well, we'll see. We'll see if I did a good job. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. Uh, next up on the agenda for announcements, if you haven't caught up, caught it yet, the next episode of In the Finest Hour is out, episode nine. Uh, Mr. Sean Morgan couldn't be on the podcast today. However, his episode does live on. It is a really good episode, actually. Um, it's something that I've always talked about consistently with with 
people at tournaments uh, and it's something that goes back and forth and they basically in one hour answer the question if you should go first or second with your army uh, it's really good the option to go first and second or second is is in some cases going to win you or lose you the game uh, and in a lot of cases, if you try to build your army around one specific way, you will succeed versus if you just go into a game and you're like, oh, well, um, you know, if I go first, I lose. And if I go second, maybe I win or, or, you know, going into a game plan with going first or second is important. I think this is a really good episode that talks about all the nitty gritty stuff about decisions and going first or second. Really good episode. Check it out in the finest hour on FrontlineGaming.org. All right. So let's go and get into tournament coverage, guys. Peter. Let's start yeah. with the Caledonian Uprising. The Caledonian Uprising. Well, folks, the Caledonian Uprising happened over the weekend. I believe they had 81 players when it was all said and done. It was across the pond in Stockport at Element Games Northwest Gaming Center. Uh, they've been holding uh, some pretty wicked tournaments for the last few years. Um, this was an ETC-style tournament. The winner was a Mr. Anthony Tony the Tiger Chew. Um, with an eclectic, very ETC list. He brought a Ally Talk Airwing detachment with two Hemlock Wraith Fighters and three Crimson Hunter Exarchs, a Cabal of the Blackheart Airwing detachment with two Razorwing Jet Fighters and two Void uh, Raven Bombers, and then he had a um, Ally Talk Battalion with an Autark uh, Skyrunner, a Farseer, a Warlock Skyrunner, 10 Rangers, and 8 Dire Avengers. So that's right, he brought 9 Flyers to this tournament and managed to just absolutely wipe out all of his opponents going 5-0. and oh. That's an wow. ETC list. Yeah, it it's is. 100% an ETC list, but you know what? It, whatever works for you, right? Um, I did see pictures. The army looked pretty uh, nice on the board, um, and a lot of people really didn't enjoy playing against it, I'm quite sure. How did it not die to boots on the ground? Well, a couple re- a couple ways. One, if you just hide everything, because uh, you only had a few models, and then just kill literally everything with your nine flyers, that helps. Uh, the other big thing was a couple of the missions I know used the new um, the new rule from the latest chapter approved, where you Except don't act. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, so with acceptable casualties, um, you can still uh, continue to play even if you only have flyers on the board. And, and also keep in mind with nine flyers like that, you can hamper your opponent's movement yeah, significantly. You're... You can just literally stop them from leaving their deployment zone if you go first. Now, he, yeah, he would it... have to have a really, really on-point movement phase himself so he doesn't lose any flyers to having to go off the board. But it sounds like he knows his stuff, so... <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> go on five Second place? Tends to, tends to be a sure assumption. Second place, we had Alex Harrison, uh, having another good showing here. Uh, now, he was listed as a primary Death Watch uh, army, but it's actually primary Astra Militarum. He had about 1,060 points of guard and then 930 points of Death Watch. So he brought uh, the Emperor's Fist Tank Company with Pask, uh, two tank commanders, and six mortar teams. Um, plus a, f- a few infantry squads. That was his first battalion. Uh, the tank commanders used executioner uh, plasma guns uh, for their turrets. He then had a Emperor's Wrath artillery uh, battalion with just like your loyal 32 plus a wyvern, uh, which is going to get the uh, access to the double uh, shot stratagem, but yeah, probably the, more the importantly, the, uh, yeah. re- the reduction in movement. 
Um, and then he had his 930 points of Death Watch with uh, Watchmaster, a Watch Captain with uh, like a, basically a Smash Captain, but the Watch Captain variety. And then uh, he had three mixed veteran squads with Storm Bolters, Storm Shields, uh, a Terminator, a Biker with the, the Homer, um, a Vanguard veteran. And uh, the one thing he did a little differently was his uh, Black Shield. He gave them all uh, Thunder Hammers. Um, so that was his list. He went four and one. I find, the, uh, so, I find the uh, the black shield in there interesting. I, a lot of a lot of the players down here don't tend to use the black shield because I don't like ever being forced into doing something. Because the black shield means you have to heroically intervene if you're if you're able to. I don't know. Seems like yeah, I know. Though. And I've I've talked to a lot of people about that uh, with the black shield, and I guess what it comes down to um, from what I, like from my experience and from these other people is that more often than not, it's it's in your benefit to get the heroic yeah. intervention as long as you position yourself properly um a really canny like a uh, player can can kind of quote unquote screw you over um but it, it's uh it's it's more rare uh that they'll be able to pull that off and with your teleport homers and the ability to fall back and charge plus fall back and shoot um generally the heroic intervention doesn't isn't going to hurt you anyway you're going to be able to just get out and uh, do what you wanted to do regardless yeah exactly yeah yeah, and, and not only that, but you can also just surround them too, because it's only if I correct me if I'm wrong, but it's only the single model. It's not the whole unit that has no, to work. No, no, the whole unit has yeah, to. Oh, yeah. oh, well then, never mind then. But it, it's really like it's it's almost a non-issue. It's it's very limited cases where you're where you're going to be forced to heroically intervene, and your opponent's going to be like, "Thank you very much." Well, yeah, because there's always the bit where if you didn't de- declare him as the charge, they can't attack you even if you do heroically intervene. So that means yeah. if it's ever in question, your opponent has to declare him. And um, yeah, risk it. Yeah, and so so with the I've actually, and Peter Peter's definitely gonna agree with me on this. I've actually played a couple Death Watch players uh, since the Storm Shield drop went down, and they those veteran squads with Storm Shields, not even full Storm Shields, just like three or four Storm Shields, are surprisingly durable if you don't have something that just flat out kills uh, Marines with a three up save. Yeah, yeah. you know, like and the fact that you can pop. Yeah. yeah, you know, well, like, and that, the fact that you can pop the Terminator in there, the extra two up armors in, in the middle, it, it they're a very hard unit to uh, to push around. Well, they're getting all, they're getting all the benefits from having multiple defensive like profiles without having to invest. All exactly, their in them. it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, and this this new Bolter rule that GW announced, I think it just makes them. It, I think it may put them over the cusp yeah, of being like a four and one army uh, that they might actually start getting some tournament wins. Um. Third place, we had Manny Chima uh, bringing Tau uh, to the menu. He brought uh, a Tau battalion with Shadow Sun, Dark Strider, 20 Fire Warriors, 16 uh, Shield Drones, and 9 Broadsides. Oh, man. Um, he then had a second Tau uh, battalion with just uh, Cadre Fire Blades and Minimum Fire Warriors, and a Sasia Sept battalion with um, a Fire Blade, an Ethereal your minimum fire warriors and three fire sight marksmen. Um, yeah, nine broadsides, they, they do work. Um, I saw an interview he posted up with his first round opponent, um, Gaz Jones, who I know is a pretty good player from Wales. He's a very um, good player. And, Ga- and Gaz actually, ha- um, um, he actually threw in the towel on the top of turn one, and he wow. had the top of turn one. Wow. Um, he charged uh, his shining spears into one unit of broadsides, and the just the first unit of broadsides killed eight spears in Overwatch. 
And after that, Gaz was just like, okay, I think we can call it. <laughs> Isn't it so funny that pre-chapter approved um, broadsides are a joke and post-chapter approved hearing nine in a list makes my soul hurt? Yeah, it's a weird <laughs> thing. Like they were, I found broadsides before chapter approved. Um, the, the reason why no one took them was because riptides were just way better. But now yeah. it's like, oh my God, like, they're just so good. And they're intimidating. It's just such a psychological factor them being on the board. Just like, how do I... If I'm a melee army, how do I get around this? How do I even yeah. play? Yeah. Um, and then just uh, the fourth place, and the only reason why, I, normally I'd only do the top three, but it was essentially a draw uh, for third place. Um, Malik Amin Rubio uh, brought his Inari. It's the same Inari list he's been running uh, for like probably eight months now. Um, Ivrain, a Spirit Seer, three units of Storm Guardians, uh, the double Shining Spears, and a unit of Dark Reapers plus three Razorwing Jet Fighters for Cabal of the Blackheart. Um, it definitely works for him. Uh, once again, went four and one at this tournament. Um, and that's really all I have to say about Caledonia Uprising. It uh, definitely, they, from what I understand, they put on a quite the good show. If any of you were there and have access to the pairings, um, that's the one thing I don't have, so I'm unable to add it to 40kstats.com. Um, so if you happen to be a TO or run the event and you're listening to this podcast, and you're like, man, I really want to help out the community. Feel free to just send me an email um, or check out my website because I would love to add this data. Just letting the team down, Pete. You had, you had one it. job. <laughs> I, I had one job. I, I, I did my reaching out. It's, uh, it's an odd, odd thing. So, all right. So let's. I want to talk about the Golden Sprue Cup next, uh, which is the the uh, second largest event of the weekend that we're covering. Um <clears throat> to kind of let Peter's voice rest a little bit. Uh, in first place, we had Sean Naden um, with Inari, with an Inari list that Peter will talk about in a second. Uh, then in second place, we had Jim Vessel with Thousand Sons. Third place, we had Mr. Steve the Mean Pamperine with Orcs. Um, of course, going back to his original Orcs. And then in fourth place, uh, big shocker, surprise, a Necron player uh, with a Sawtech list who, um, with Mr. Chad Layton who actually did really, really well. Um, his first three games were against uh, not bad players. Um, I actually think one of them ended up with a, with a, a low record, but his fourth not game he played... Not bad players. Not, I mean, I, I don't want to call them bad. I don't want to call them, like, no it's, names or, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, I, every time I say that, some Everyone has backfires. Feelings. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Every, You know, everyone says, like, oh, yeah, you played someone, you know, who's whatever, and like, oh, actually, I won. I won Golden Sprue Cup in 2016. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm sorry. My bad. Um, but no, anyways, uh, Chad Layton <clears throat> beat three opponents, uh, and then Jared Freeman on round four, he beat Jared Freeman, uh, who is not a, a bad player, who's actually a really good player, um, who's made the top eight at the Nova Invitational before, uh, and then played Sean Naden on the top table and lost um, <clears throat> for a really good four and one record with Necrons, an army that you wouldn't expect to get a four and one record with a T whip of point uh, seven. Or something probably really a, low. A T whip of nothing. They, this a, was their first uh, representation with a four and zero record since like <laughs> April. So they literally had a zero. Holy shit! <laughs> so there you go. Uh, and then Mr. Uh, Eric Trock, rounding out the top five, uh, went four and one with Adeptus Custodes. And um, a very unique Adeptus Custodes list at that. Yeah, and and I would like to give a shout out to Alex Fennel, who went two zero and one day one. Who could have had a chance to win everything, but because he's such a nice guy, he decided to give everyone a shot at that top table and dropped after three rounds. 
Yeah, there were a number of people that dropped early. Um, there was a large uh, snowstorm, from what I understand, uh, day one. So there was five or six players that left after round one. Um, like you see, Alexander Fennell didn't make it to, to day two, even though he had a good record. So uh, yeah, like it, uh, there were a good 40-some-odd brave souls that ventured out into whatever you Americans call an actual snowstorm. Um, <laughs> like for us, it's Thursday. Uh, so yeah, good job. Alex, All right, so Alex Fennell probably went to go rescue some kittens and shovel some it's snow It's quite outside possible. Jeff yeah, would have put out some fires in yeah, yeah, yeah. somewhere. <laughs> so uh, let's let's actually talk about these lists in rever- reverse. Um, so I want to talk about Ooh. Eric Trock's list first, uh, okay. and then we'll go with the Necron list. Yes. Sure. So Eric Trock um, brought a foot custodies list. He only had one jet bike in the list. So it was uh, my man, the Captain General, Trahan Valoris, a shield captain on jet bike, um, nine uh, custodian guard. Then he had nine custodian wardens, uh, three Alaris custodians, a Vexillus Praetor with the uh, minus one to hit banner, two Calexus assassins, and a Calidus assassin. I like um, <laughs> I, I swear, Jeff Jeff Robinson got a slight chubby somewhere. Like just, just for no reason at it's all. A, it's a fantastic list <clears throat> in my mind because it's not the standard for custodies. Um uh, from what I understood from the one or two people I, I, I managed to uh, see post about the list, um, Eric used the um, the deep strike stratagem for the Vexilla uh, very well in a couple of his games, and that that really was what uh, was what was giving him his wins. Um, in case you you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a I believe it's a three CP stratagem. If you have a Vexilla on the board and it's been on the board for the full round, um, at the end of your movement phase, you can uh, take a unit that's with that's in deep strike, um, deep strike it within six inches of the Vexilla, and more than three inches away from an opponent's uh, unit. Yeah. Um, so you it, you're essentially guaranteeing a charge um, if you position yourself right with those nine wardens or with the three custodians, depending on well, the uh, Laris, I mean, depending on what you're up against. Yeah. And, and nine wardens will kill just about anything. anything. Literally anything. I can tell you from uh, experience, they will kill just about anything. Um, yeah. But uh, what I love about the, this list is that um, it's really hard. Firstly, it's really hard to pick secondaries against, and it, think about how you're ever going to get kill more off this list, like. It's, it's not guaranteed you're ever going to get a kill, let alone kill more. Yeah. Yeah, you really have to leverage the assassins. Because um, assassins are actually very easy to kill. Yeah. Um, so you kind of have to just let the assassins do their thing until you're ready to kill them plus a custodes unit. But it's very, very difficult. Um, it doesn't score a ton of points. So he, he didn't have a game, except for his final game, go above 30 points mm-hmm. in the ITC, which is actually really low scoring. Um, and his, uh, his only loss was the Jim Vessel... Um, a player who went second in the event with Thousand Sons. So I, I don't know. I don't know if this is the Custodes list you guys should start flocking to if you're a Custodes player and you want to do well at the LVO. Uh, Eric Trock is also a great player. He's a Beast Coast player, um, and he's also not a bad player. I've seen his name before in the top fives in tournaments. So I I, I don't I don't want to say that this is like the best Custodes list ever. Use it, uh, but it is a very solid list, and I think it speaks more to. Eric Trock's skill as a player and Eighth Edition's, um, you know, balancing act with the armies, and that it's I also think... sorry, it's also a very LVO style list, right? Like, yes. it's guaranteed he's 
he's playing this list, planning to go to LVO, where there's a, a significant amount of a line of sight blocking terrain that mm-hmm. he can use to his advantage. I know that he's also going to be showing off the list against um, Nick Nadavati tomorrow. Um, online, live, around, I don't know, like one thirty Eastern time. So if people are interested, you can check it out. Um, yeah. But also a list like this that doesn't score big wins, uh, especially in an event like LVO, you don't want to get big wins in the first few rounds because you then have to play all the other big wins. With Swiss, yeah. um, all true. you want to do is win games. Just win your games. Uh, yeah. You don't have to get, like, Swiss discourages big wins. Unless you know you're going to win the event, but where the where the kicker is for that, Josh, is that you won't make it top eight if you don't get massive wins. Well, LVO, you will. Well, it really depends on how everything shakes out, right? If if we get a, a, a an enormous amount of ties, which has happened, uh, you're definitely going to want to score more points. But the problem with the LVO and that is is there are so many quality players at the LVO that are going to either tie or have these low scoring wins over each other. Um, the perfect example is Brett Perkins and Andrew Gagno. Two years ago at the LVO played each other round three. Uh, Brett, they either tied or Brett squeaked out the win. Um, but that's not why I'm saying that. The reason why is because though that tie put both of them into tables seven and six, respectively, at the LVO, um, which kept them out of the top eight yeah. tables or kept them out of the top eight yeah. tables. Or the but they still managed to squeak into the top. Managed to squeak into the top eight and win the whole thing. So if you're that if you're that um, that twelfth uh, uh, seeded player playing on table six or, or that fourteenth seeded player t- playing on table seven, you still might get like a Brett Perkins and get paired down to him and lose to him. Um, you know it's 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 tough. It it really is. Uh, and there is a good point for submarining because Aaron Along did do it three years ago at the LVO. He made the he got in with the final seed. He was the only player who didn't have an undefeated record to make that LVO that year. Um, but it, it's it's difficult because because then you're you're submarining against players like Aaron Along and Brett Perkins, you know, who who score low points or or whatever for whatever reason they're in those seeds. So it, it's it, it's tough. If if I would say that if you if I had a choice between scoring a bunch of points or um, taking an army that scored less points, I would just take the army that scores as many points as it can. Mm. If, any, if anybody complains about the state of the eighth edition, go and remember what Brett Perkins played to win that LVO. No, oh, no. <laughs> just remember that. Just watch that game. It's still oh, on. Man. It's still on YouTube and Twitch. It, <laughs> it was. Uh, de- <laughs> Go ahead if you if you want to talk about I, it. I played against. I played against that same list literally like a couple of months later. Someone brought that and played it against me, and I was. Um, I was like, it, I, I had the thought: if I don't actually help this guy in his top of turn one, we might not get to turn two. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Th- those when just... games were only going to three turns. <laughs> yeah. Um. It was. It was rough. There was the the days of the Wolf Star plus Dark mm. Angels Battle Company. So you had like mm. tw- ten free de- dedicated transports running around, scoring objectives with obsec. Um. While you had to deal with forty four up influence saves wolves yep. with invisibility on them. Sometimes it, it was just. Yeah, it was pretty gross. But yeah. luckily now, in 8th edition, someone like Chad Layton can come along and go 4-0 and <laughs> Good with a Sautech Battalion Tell us uh, with Immotech the, the Stormlord, um, a Cryptech, 15 Immortals, 3 Doomsday Arcs, uh, 2 squads of 7 Tomb Blades, and the Seraptic Construct of the Neolac variety. It's a pretty solid list, a lot of Tesla in here, so it actually can do a good amount of work against Hordes. Um, and Doomsday Arcs are no joke. Um, they're pretty hard to kill in this uh, in this meta, 
and uh, they, they they live the dream. Yeah. So the cool thing about Doomsday Arcs is they're they're very counter meta to the Castellan meta um, because they can keep up. They can they can match the Castellan for range. Uh, however, the Castellan can't really hurt them because of their quantum shielding. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it gets it gets really really annoying if you're a Castellan player. And in the meantime, you're you're if you're playing the Castellan list, your typical guard plus Castellan, uh, you can't do a whole lot to the Necrons, who when they get to a certain point on the middle of the board can just blender you, right? And then you also have this big giant Necron knight with the Nihilok, um dynasty, which gives them, I believe, obsec if he's within three inches of an objective, or or gives them feel no pain. It it's some sort of buff when he's when he's within three inches of the objective. I think it might safe. be. It's plus one of their saves. It's plus one save, yeah. That's which is amazing. Incredible. Yeah. <clears throat> um, um what I what I love about his list is yeah, I love the Doomsday Arcs being in there. Um but it's just it's just counterintuitive. Like quantum shielding just makes everything counterintuitive. And it's one of the only real big things that Necrons can lev- leverage that no other people have, no other armies have. Um oh, if you've got six da- five or six damage on your weapon, well I, essentially I get a two plus save against it. It's insane. Yeah, it, his the list isn't perfect. Uh, I think I think that a really good Inari list or, or a, a thousand sons with a lot of smites probably you know put oh, a number on much, him. There's not much they can do. Like one one good well placed Zangor bomb eats like a third of this army in one go. Right, and then yeah. you're dealing with hordes, um, and and with all of your with maybe all of your tomb blades or something gone. Uh, and then you just have to deal with these big characters running around killing all your stuff. It's it's not easy, Necron players, but I, I really like the ingenuity in this Necron list. And it's not the Tesseract Fault list, which is, you know, the typical Necron list you you know, people see. So you used to see Necron yeah, players before knights killed them all. Well, yeah, before so, knights and that chapter approved. Historically, like, you know, if you if you're a, a a um an army on the bottom rung of the the power kind of scale you're all that's left to you is to make really hard skewed lists like the tesseract vaults things like that i was really yep, really happy true. to see an all comers necron list you know something that is built to tackle just about most of the things you'll see while it's not just taking like 37 tomb blades or all scarabs or all wraiths it's well balanced i like it mm-hmm. all right so let's talk about steve pamperine's list um quick well, we're going to talk a lot about it because it's steve pamperine we know he can win with orcs <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, Val's not young. Well, so was it was it similar to Nick Notavati's orc list that he posted? No, no, he he went he went out in left field. But who cares? It's Steve Pamprine. Orcs are broken, guys. They're too good. <laughs> Nerf orcs. No. Uh, so, uh, Pablo, you want to say something real quick before I get into the list? No, no, go right ahead. Okay, so he has a evil. By the way, this list has I think twenty six um, CP to work with. Oh my so he's, gosh. he's never running out. It's just not enough. Guys. Um, he's got a Evil Sons Battalion with a war boss, just standard run-of-the-mill war boss, a weird boy, um, 60 uh, regular boys with Chapa Slugga and 10 Grots. He's then got a Bad Moons Battalion with two weird boys, 30 Gretchen, 30 Grots, and 15 Ludas. He did not take uh, two squads like you've been seeing a lot of people do. And then lastly, he's got a Death Skulls Brigade. Where he took uh, three big mechs, uh, two shock on war bikes, guns. one with the shock attack gun. Yeah. He then had uh, the other two had custom mega blasters. He has uh, sixty grots in this, uh, three units of five, I believe, commandos uh, with uh, double burna, 
uh, three units, uh, sorry, two units of, uh, two minimum units of defcoptas, uh, which I believe is just one defcopta, actually, mm-hmm. uh, a squad of three bikes, and then three smasher guns. That's the list. Interesting. So, so first off, I want to just say, <clears throat> at the beginning of that, that tirade, talked about just a regular old war boss, but I just played orcs. So I, I know that's not true. It was an evil Sun's War boss, and those things can put out a ton of damage with the right relic. Um, as my poor Correct. Imperial Knight Serastus Atropos found yeah, out. I mean, it's only a four damage weapon. Yeah, it, it's like minus four. <laughs> I, he had Gasgul next to it, so he had like eight attacks or something huh? silly that were um, with something rerolling hits and wounds. Um, you know, oh, oh, hitting on twos, wounding on twos. By the way. Um, four it's damage just each. Rookie stuff. Rookie it's, stuff. So, so uh, if you're if you're a player who doesn't know anything about orcs, the one takeaway I can give you: um, to learn from from my. I actually won that game, so it wasn't a mistake. But I learned from my poor knight's mistake, in that the the evil sun's war boss can put out a ton of shots or a ton of damage in the fight, like a ridiculous amount. Um, so he he can kill knights no problem. So just just keep that in mind, guys. Yeah, newsflash: orcs, orcs are good. In close combat. Yeah, it's just, I, yeah, I don't know how to Particularly in guys. This, this is a oh. stunning revelation. Also, if you're an orc player, um, there is kind of a, a stigma about the knight ma- the Imperial Knight matchup, and I just want to say that orcs do have tools to beat Imperial Knights. Um, you can't instant kill knights like a lot of armies can, um, but if they're dodging our characters intelligently uh, and you're finding yourself having a hard time killing knights, uh, just devote Ludas, one or two turns of double shooting into knights with the Ludas to soften them down, and then throwing like one or two 30, 30-man orc boys attacks into that knight w- with minimal buffs should handle... should for the most part, either deal with that knight to the point where it's degraded all the way so that it's slow so you can kill it later, um, or or degrade it to the point where it's it's not it's not useful, or just flat yeah. out kill it. Or it, just ignore it because you have two hundred and some odd boys on the well, board. Well it's yeah. hard it's hard for boys to ignore like a knight gallant, for example, um, when you can give it plus one attack with the knight's in a straw war trait, and then it's got yeah. eighteen attacks hitting on twos, winning on twos, yeah, and it'd be turn it fights squad. Yeah, but then you don't even yeah. kill a, you don't even kill half a squad. That's if you attack twice, you do. So it's, it's thirty-six attacks, hitting on twos, winning on twos. Yeah, if you go with House Terran. Yeah, House Terran. Mm. Yeah, it's, anyway, it's pretty nasty. Well, you just, the, the... So this same problem came up for the all the all the T Suns demon lists, and or they just slotted in that corn demon prince with the corn axe to go and kill that two yep. plus armor save gallant. It's the same thing with the evil Suns um, war boss. You got a horde army, it has a problem with two up saves. You slot in one tech character. To, to take care of that problem, the three up, three up knights, the three up knights are nowhere near as hard to take care of as the two up the two up knights. But um, mm-hmm. yes, as soon as you take care of that one two plus save knight, that matchup gets so much better for you. Absolutely. Uh, all right, uh, Jim Vessel. Jim Vessel, the Canadian hero, uh, <laughs> the man who took Canada and brought it out from its a colonial, uh, like lowly birthing. And brought it to the international spotlight once again. Goes undefeated, four zero and one, with his thousand sons list. Um, not really anything surprising here, I don't believe. He's got um, Ariman, uh, three demon princes of Zinch, uh, one, uh, two of them in a battalion, one in an auxiliary support uh, but, uh, detachment. He's got twenty chaos cultists, twenty Zangors. A Hellforge Scorpius, which is uh, pretty new for Jim's lists, uh, but they, they have been making the rounds. 
Um, and then he's got a Chaos Demons Battalion with Changecaster, Poxbringer, Sloppity Bile Piper, 28 Horrors, I, I assume, of the pink variety, and 60 Plague Bearers. Wow. So so this is kind of a... This isn't like the kind of Thousand Suns list you'd expect to see. Um, he, he, he doesn't have as many Zangor bombs as, as I kind of expected, which is kind of just kind of interesting... Um, and then the 60 Plague Bearers with the Sloppity Bob and that Demon's Attachment is um, not something you see a ton of Thousand Suns players bringing. Um, oh, you do. You, you see do it Australia. pretty frequently now. Yeah. Oh, in they, Australia? Okay. Yeah, you do, Australia does does it quite a bit, um, <laughs> uh, but not even just there. Yeah. It, the, it's, um, there are a lot of people that like to run the, the Cultist Bombs, but um, you're seeing less and less of those after Chapter Approved, mm. um, and more people are swinging towards this Plague Bearer. Uh, Oftentimes, um, you'll see, especially in Australia and in Britain, it'll be like 60 to 120 Plague Bearers, um, and then usually a Blood Litter Bomb on top of that, if not two, um, and then you'll have your Thousand Suns backup. Um, I, really, the, the one thing here that kind of stands out is the Hellforge Scorpius, which I have seen in some lists, um, but I believe this is the first time I've seen Jim Vessel run it in his, uh, and it's, I mean, it's an excellent um, an excellent model, right? Yeah, if it does move 63, strength 6, AP2, 2 damage shots, mm. so the, yeah. um, which is the same as the Imperium version. Uh, I, having used it, I think it, it's solid, but it's also very expensive. Um, yeah. I don't know how much the Chaos version is, but the Imperium version is over 200 points. I, yeah, I want to say it's 220. Or two, yeah, to... 217. Uh, if, I had to pose a, if I had to pose a guess of why it's in there, um, his list doesn't really, to my mind, offer anything that's going to get a kill um, top of turn one or bottom of turn one. So that, that helpful Scorpius could literally just be there to sit out of line of sight and make sure he gets a turn, uh, gets a kill turn one. Yeah, even mm-hmm. if it's shooting a like, scout squad or something. Ex- yeah, turn exactly. One. Yep. Yeah. Okay. But then again, don't, Chaos have cheaper options than that, right, that can accomplish similar things? Uh, maybe yeah, not. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm sure, sure they but do. Not, nothing from um, out of line of sight. And that could be also a concession to the LVO with the um, the boxes. Yeah, a lot of this, and especially in these latest weeks, you're gonna. I think you're right. You're seeing a lot of people bringing out lists that are trying to um, take advantage of this potential LVO um, uh, magic box situation. Yeah, it's, I think it's, I, even, I think it's even tailor made for that. Now, the more that I think about it, it's got two da- flat two damage on its weapons. Yeah, how many mortar squads is that killing? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's True story. destroying. That's kill. That might even kill two mortar squads in one exactly, turn. Exactly, exactly what I thought. <laughs> mm, that's pretty good. All, okay. all right, Sean and now Naden. the great finale. Sean Naden, who Jeff Robinson will say is nothing special, um, just because he takes weird units means nothing because they're still good units. Jeff Robinson's always right. Um, <laughs> he's a beautiful man, and uh, I think that for your ten dollar Patreon, uh, Pablo, you should just have uh, Jeff send. Um, like flexing selfies to the Patreons. I'm sure that'll work. <laughs> mm, so keep that in mind. That's a good mind. choice. That's a good idea. Um, so Sean Naden, he br- brought his Incarn list, um, a slight variation on it. It's um, an Inari Battalion with the Incarn, Eldrad, Maugen Ra, uh, 20 Guardian Defenders, two squads of eight Rangers, and a single squad of eight Shining Spears. He's got a Cult of the Cursed Blade Battalion with two Succubi, two squads of 15 witches with shardnets and one squad of five witches, and then a Harlequin Vanguard with a Troopmaster, three Death Jesters, and a Midnight Sorrow Solitaire. Uh, the Harlequin Vanguard is mixed. Uh, they're all Dreaming Shadow except for the Solitaire, and that's because the Solitaire, um, Midnight Sorrow, has the uh, stratagem that lets them, I believe, fight again when they die, but they also get plus one attack and plus one strength. But if so, it's a mixed Harlequin detachment, he won't get unlock the stratagems. 
Yeah, nice. he'll unlock the stratagems. He just won't unlock the um, the uh, troop uh, ability, uh, dance mask, or whatever they call it. Yeah, mask yeah. form. Yes. Mask form. There you go. But he'll still get to use the stratagem, just like with the death jesters. He's on. He's using the dreaming shadow because there's the stratagem that lets them um, count every hit as uh, two hits, and he also gets access to the relic um, that makes their gun better. So, so. Okay, so I guess Harlequins, because I know the Space Marine Codex, you need to have one pure Space Marine detachment of one chapter to unlock the stratagems. It specifically says you need like a Space Marine detachment, and then it defines a Space Marine detachment as a detachment where they all share the chapter. I'm not sure that's the case anymore. That was the case previously. Right. Um, And that was why like Cabal of the Black Heart had that thing where you had to have a Cabal of the Black Heart uh, pure detachment, but you don't any longer. Now you can just have a a cabal unit somewhere there, in this in the battalion. Yeah, and to my knowledge there are some exceptions to that. Like I think Chaos he Demons might be right. Chaos Demons I think you just need a detachment so you could have a mixed Chaos Demon detachment uh, of all four gods and still unlock the stratagems because that's like a Chaos Demon thing because they're special or something, I don't know. Um it, it, the rules the rules are always really weird and I wish I had my books with me right now. Um but <laughs> obviously I didn't plan for this particular, <laughs> you know, uh segue. That's fine. But, but uh um, but yeah, but it is something you see pretty frequently now. People taking these mixed battalions for different, um, uh, different uh, factions, hmm. like Drukari. Uh, Colin Sherman's list we'll talk about later. He has a mixed Drukari detachment, which is to get him access to specific stratagems and relics um, that you wouldn't see, be able to get. Uh, we're starting to see orcs do it a lot and put a um, uh, blood axe. Is it a blood axe yeah. weird boy well, to get the thinking cap in there? So they actually get the extra warlord trait. Yeah, well, or to but, get. Or snake bites to get the buzz bomb. Yeah, exactly. Right, but with orcs it's easy because because you just need to have one pure orc detachment, right? Of like one like one bad moons detachment or whatever, and then that unlocks all the stratagems for the book, and or for your army, and then you can use those stratagems on Space individual only, models in there. Space Marines the only army that does that. Maybe Every you know what? Na- maybe na- maybe maybe now I see why GW gave us. The points decreases plus the updated bolters. Mm, you know, garbage. they're like, you know what, guys, you, your your vehicles don't get tactics, and on top of that, you guys have to take pure detachments to unlock your stratagems. Uh, and then GW was like, oh, uh, I guess we, I guess we, you know, hurt our favored sons, so we'll just give them a little <laughs> boost. Yeah, well, I just so, yeah. Uh... so uh, Sean Naden's <laughs> list, it's it's a little out there. He doesn't have a lot of uh, psychic support. Um, but Not a lot of shooting I mean, as well. Well, you know, um, Inari Shining Spears will still kill a lot of stuff. And 20 Guardian Defenders with Inari, that's pretty scary. Um, especially with, like, the Incarn nearby and Eldrad for whatever buffs they can get. They can put out a, a ton of damage. Um, it's definitely a unique list because he's not, uh, he doesn't have access to, um, any of the, like, uh, Warlock, uh, abilities. Uh, but still. Like it's uh, it, it definitely does work, and it's Sean Naden. He's not a bad player, so yeah. It so the the Harlequins attachment is three. You said it was three Death Jesters, the mm-hmm. Troop Master, and a Solitaire, right? Correct. That is that is such a weird list. Well, like I said, the Death Jesters they they basically are snipers um, with a really good gun um, because if if you choose the Shrieker profile, if it does a wound to any model in the unit. Uh, sorry, if it kills a model in a unit, it does D3 mortal wounds. Um, but you can there's a stratagem for them with Dreaming Shadow, which he made them, so that every shot counts as two shots um, for every mm. hit. So that 
I mean, if you choose the Shuriken profile, they're now doing sh six shots apiece. Um, or if you're doing the Shrieker, it's one twice, and I believe the, the Mortal Wounds stack. So it's two D3 Mortal Wounds on top. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong on that one. And um, they take a morale um, hit as well. Like yes, one or two and they take a morale on minus two. Uh, yeah, so like you can... You can do some shenanigans there. Um, there's also a, a Dreaming Shadow Relic that makes the gun even better. Um, can make it, I, I believe, up to Strength 8, AP minus 3, D3 damage, if I'm not mistaken. Seems good. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Solitaire is a, is a close combat monster, and with the Midnight Sorrow being able to, you know, uh, die and fight again, scary as all get out. He's got um, um, and Kegarath's Rose on that, yeah? I, he doesn't have it listed, but I would assume he's paying for you'd, it. You'd have to and, assume. But, but, I mean, it's regardless, still good. And the thing about the Troop Master is also being Dreaming Shadow, he could um, uh, basically double tap the Fusion Pistol if he really needed to yeah. um, with that same uh, Dreaming Shadow stratagem. So if worse came to worse and he was up against a, like a vehicle that, that had five or six wounds left, um, he can spend a command point and, uh, and basically get uh, two Melty Shots out of it instead of just the one. Yeah, I always I always love seeing solitaires because they're just like a they're like a shooting unit essentially because you can you can set it off from anywhere. It's just a shooting unit that goes off in the fight phase because you essentially you shoot <laughs> yeah. it from one side of the board into wherever you want. It explodes yeah. and kills everything. And I'm going back to to something that's tailor made for freaking enclosed ruins is a solitaire because it's a shooting weapon that it goes off in the fight phase. It just goes yeah. in there, kills. Up, like up to three units possibly and yeah you're not who gives like a crap? all your co company commanders and stuff you're trying to hide yeah they're just, they're just dead just gotcha i played against i played against sean at etc this year and he was the only person who got a 20 point off me um and i was very annoyed at that because i i was playing a very defensive list and i'd given up up to that point i'd won every game and um i only I only dropped two games out of it out of my etc run and um with sean's uh Freaking that freaking solitaire! He killed Strachan. He killed the priest. He killed a primary psyche. He killed an astropath, and man, it was so so brutal. Yeah, and and on top of that, he's also got those witch those witches in there too. I imagine with with nets, uh, and you know you can do a lot of really dirty stuff with the solitaire and witches. Uh, you can, for example, tie up a squad that it's like maybe a scout squad or kind of a forward advanced squad with the witches, and then extend the witches out with the rest of their long charge move to kind of uh, wrap around the solitaire. And then the solitaire can move up the middle of the board, stand in a nice little triangle or nice little space where the witches are protecting it. So you can't shoot the witches. You mm. can't shoot the solitaire because he's in the witches squad with a tendril extended out. And then next turn, that solitaire can hit whatever it wants. It's and, such a dirty, dirty thing. Yeah, right. right. And, and I, I, and that's something my feeble mind can only think of. So I can't even imagine <laughs> what sort of witchcraft Sean Naden can pull off with tools like that. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a it's a very good list. Uh, it's definitely a Sean Naden list. Um, I, I like it a lot. I don't know if he'll be using it at Delvio. He does have a tendency to to use similar lists leading up to Delvio at like Golden Sprue Cup and at those uh, East Coast events leading up to Delvio. But he also does change his list, and I imagine there's one or two units that he's just like mad doctoring about. You know, like what kind of brew is he? Might even no, be considering throwing an avatar of Kane like in there, or something. Watch or something. Instead. Right, right. He, he, you know, he's just Sean Nathan. Curveball. Like that, that guy is a, a bad, evil, mad scientist when it comes to lists. Okay, 
so let's quickly move on to the other two tournaments. They were smaller, uh, 30 and 35, I believe, for, for the other two. But they, they do deserve some note. Um, Siege of Augusta uh, GT. Uh, John Lennon was first. He went 4-0-1 with a uh, Kraken Tyranids list. So his list was a Broodlord, Swarmlord, uh, three Rippers, and uh, 39 Gene Stealers. He then brought three Vultures and a Brood bo- uh, Brothers um, Air Wing Detachment. And then he had a Gene Stealer Cult Anointed Throng uh, with a Magus, an Abominant, a Primus, uh, 30 Neophytes, and a big squad of 10 Aberrants. Um, it's, a, it's, just, it's a list that gets in your face and hurts you real bad. Um, right from the get-go with the vultures, and then it follows up with all those gene stealers and the aberrants taking up the the rear. It's just a it's a pretty uh, rough rod list. Needs more aberrants. <laughs> yeah, these gene stealer cult lists are getting nastier and nastier every time I see them. I um I watched a couple of um John Lennon's games during the charity stream. I just loved how he used his vultures almost like a funnel to keep people in place for the all his um gene stealer cult units to come in and just do the work. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like 120 shots out of those three vultures too. So it's yeah, uh, it's it, not it, a drop in the ocean. <laughs> nope. Um, and then the other person that went undefeated, uh, second place, uh, Daniel Hester's, went four zero and one with the Death Guard. He brought a Death Guard battalion with a Demon Prince of Nurgle, um, a, a Lord uh, with the Separating Plate, a Lord of Contagion. He had three units of Plague Brethren. Uh, which are like the two-man uh, plague brain squads you can take, um, or three-man, I believe. And then he had a squad of five Blightlord Terminators, a Foul Blightspawn, the uh, Termite Assault Drill. He then had a Death Guard Supreme uh, Command Detachment with uh, three Death Shrouds, two Malignant Plague uh, Casters, a Chaos Lord, and the Spartan Assault Tank. Hey, awesome. I know, right? And then lastly, he had an auxiliary support with Ariman. Ah, because why not? <laughs> yeah. So this can. is quite the list. I um, mean, it, it has a lot of very hard to kill stuff in it. Um, super stoked to see a Spartan Assault tank in a list. Yeah. We, especially when that won. Me and my mates, we called to Cinderblock. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks like such a brick on the board. Such a great model yep. as well. Um, this is kind of the first time I've seen it do anything worth noticing, so I'm really happy happy about that. Yeah, it looks like a pretty exciting list. How does it work? <laughs> it, it seems uh, it seems like a jumble of things, but I'm sure it's got a really well-rounded concept behind it. Well, I would gather that a big part of it is that just a lot of this stuff just doesn't die. Well, um, yeah, it's got so it's got a Spartan at toughness eight. It's got a Termite Troll at toughness eight. Um, it's possible those are the only two targets you'll have top of turn one. He pa- and if he pays prepared positions, um, you know they're they're two up, you know one up saves with toughness eight and a bunch of wounds. That could that's pretty interesting. Yep, and those plague brethren. The fact that they're such small units, um, super easy to hide. So. Yeah, exactly, and, and super easy to fit in a transport. Where are they from? What document were they found in? Um, I what think... enabled that to exist is my question. And why don't I don't I have an even rem- like that? remember to be honest. Um... Now I have the feel bads. Yeah, me either. Oh, whatever. We'll, we'll keep going. Truck on. Anyway, maybe he's cheating. Yeah, he probably ah. is, but it's okay. No, he's not cheating. I've seen, I've seen it plenty of times before. I just don't know where it's from. Um, <laughs> We're going to go with cheating. We'll, we'll roll with that. <laughs> Daniel Hester's, <laughs> until you send me an email saying you didn't cheat, you yeah. cheated in my eyes. There is no, there is no, there is the only the assumption of guilt. <laughs> yep. That's how I work. I'm Canadian. 
And we're I'm Australian. We don't have any of that due process over here. Yeah, it's true. Like just, you're basically you all boat. criminals. We just yeah. put you on a boat and push you out in the ocean to, to an island. Yep. Okay. And uh, lastly, quick talk about the Augusta, or sorry, the Aberdeen um, LVO warm-up GT. Uh, once again, 35 players attended. Uh, two undefeated. Colin Sherman with his Inari. He brought a battalion with um, Cat Lady, two Spirit Seers, two squads of Rangers, a squad of Storm Guardians, a squad of nine Wraith Blades, nine Shining Spears, and ten Dark Reapers. He had a Ulthway Supreme Command Detachment with Eldrad, two Warlocks, and a Wave Serpent, and a Drukari Soup Battalion with a Homunculus with the um, Vexilator Mask, Vexilator Mask, uh, Succubus, and uh, three units of five Cabalite Warriors. That wow, you sound so sad guys. when you mm. mention the Cabalite Warriors. Well, it's just, you know, they are what they are. <laughs> They're not yeah, witches. Yeah. They aren't witches. They're not super exciting and sexy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so let's that's... talk about the, this list for a second. It, it's not what Collins run. It's not what Collins, you know, ran in the past. Um, typically, I imagine he's probably run a couple tournaments with it that I've just missed. But when I thought no, no, Collins... this is a, a lot of new playtesting for him to get this list uh, to where it is. He's really uh, having talked to him and uh, watched and like saw him talk uh, uh, quite a bit about this. He's very concerned. He, he's really prepping for LVO. He's really concerned about magic boxes um, because shining spears generally don't do well in enclosed ruins. Yes, um, since they can't get in, they can't do all of their shenanigans. So he's been really testing a lot of different uh, ways to get around it, which is why he brought in the Wraith Blades. Originally, he was using the uh, Specialist Attachment, but with the latest FAQ, he can no longer do it. Um, but he still thinks they're worth it, uh, just for the Orc matchup in particular. Uh, Wraith Blades are, are very good at um, uh, scissoring through Orcs, and they don't die very well um, to Orcs. So it's uh, that's kind of like his Orc counter in the list. Um, the and the other part of it is that homunculus with the uh, vexator mask, yeah. so that the, uh, they're fighting last. That vexator uh, mask is the best tech choice, the best pretty good relic tech choice in the game, to my mind. And if you can take yeah. it, you should take it. Um, but yeah, those. Well, if you invest the amount of buffs you can invest in those wraith guard, even without the formation, they still become absolutely fearsome. You can still double move them with quicken. You can make them minus one to hit. You can get them uh, plus one save. You can give them a feel no. Oh, pain. for sure. They're still an absolute weapon. Beat stick. So, yeah. So, absolutely. Um, it, it is a very complicated list. So it's not for it, sure. It's not a list that that someone could just show up to at a GT and do well with. Um, and so close to the LVO, it is kind of interesting to see Colin take this approach. He's an intelligent player, and he's a really mm. good player. So if anyone can pick up this list three weeks out from um, this big of an event and do well with it, it's him. Um, however, if I were him, I probably would have gone with something I've been running all year. Um, and also, the magic box thing is... a, a And I do have some insider knowledge on this, so I can't... Um, you know, I do have a bit of an advantage, um, which is probably oh, we're going to go into this whole Schrodinger's cat thing, are we again? <laughs> well, it's just there's... the the thing is, is the, the there is magic boxes at the LVO. There's going to be there's magic some... boxes, but there aren't. There's a dead cat inside one of them. <laughs> Maybe there isn't. It's, it's just there's not as many as 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 people think they are. So it's not going to be as impactful as um as 
people are expecting it to be, right? So I understand that you want to plan for it, but when one quarter to one third ish, somewhere in that range of the tables are going to have like maybe or one magic box, but it's maybe not be in the center, it's going to be off centered a little bit. It's just it, by three it's, inches. I don't know. Really so, impact? No, it's okay. No, no, I, I understand. <laughs> I got me. I know I got roasted by this like three weeks ago. Um, I know. And, I'm and surprised I, you're trying to get back into it. Well, it's just so, it's. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, guys. Go ahead, Adam and Josh. So, so I think most people accept that they're not going to be on every table, but with um, a six game of with a six game event, and let's say they're only on a quarter of the tables, that means you're going to probably play on two. Two right. tables will have this. And if you're trying to go for that top eight finish, you would be stupid to not take those into account. So, because so, just one of them that you don't plan for can cost you a game. Absolutely. However, the you have to look at the the way the missions are with ITC. You can't put objectives in those box tables. Uh, and then with, I believe, four out of six missions in the ITC, uh, maybe I think a little less than that, actually. But think about all the missions in ITC that are... Uh, middle of there's an objective in the middle of the board, which means you're not going to have a, a box in the middle. It's going to be offset, and you're not going to win that roll off to pick up deployment sides every single time. Which means about half the time that you play on a box table, may, maybe a little less than that, you're not even going to have a box anywhere near you. Which is can be an advantage or a disadvantage depending on how you build your army. If you build your army to rely on a box table, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, 50% of the time when you are on a box table. If you build your army so that you're you're you know, you you don't want your opponent to have the box table, you're going to have a better matchup. It's not it's not going to come into play as much as say a Castellan is you running into a Castellan list whereas you will run to a Castellan list about the same amount of times you will play on a box table at the LVO. However, you know for a fact you're going to get the same Castellan list almost every single time. It's going to be Guard, a Castellan, and then maybe a detachment with some beat stick characters in it because that's how predictable the Castellan list is. So it, yeah, and, and I don't think... I, I think you're making some valid points. I guess the one thing I would say in defense of like a list like Collins and what, what we're seeing with a lot of these people is it's not like they're, they're devoting 1,500 points to... Um, to uh, ignoring line uh, ignoring line of sight or to beat stick characters it's it's also really good against um one of the things that a lot of people feel is like a, a struggle for an ari and that's the orc um like the big bad orc lists mm. um so i i think you're like i don't think you're wrong i think people that are like i'm going to take 1500 points of mortars and mortar variants probably on the wrong track. Yeah. Um, but See, well, well, you look at well, making sure fair. that you have Who's that the... solitaire, or sorry, that block of nine that's race fair. is not a terrible decision. Yeah. Well, so okay. from my point of view, double spears um, does not function. On, on, it, with knowing the information that you have prior to this event, a single spear or none is the way to go. Double spears is, is an over-investment over in a thing that could literally just be completely useless in a game. And I think so. I think Colin's on absolutely the right track. He hasn't completely dropped everything that he knows about his army and everything he knows about Yanari, but he's willing to tailor a significant portion of it to address the players' pack and, and what the information he's been provided. So but yeah, I, I don't agree with, disagree with either of this. I think we're, we're all spot on. But, and I think Colin's spot on as well. And also that guy who took the Scorpius, he's spot on too. Everybody's doing Everybody's it right. Everybody's spot on. But that's Jim Vessel. You're not allowed to say bad things about him because he's Canadian. Um, and all well, Canadians are Canada, essentially Canada perfect in my Canada is Australia's eyes. cold brother. 
We can't say that. It's true. <laughs> we're, we're essentially the same in every way. Okay, one last list to talk about uh, our listeners, and then we'll actually get into what the Australians want to talk about, which is how amazing they are. Um, we're pretty good. Uh, You're not wrong. And that, and that is Scott Cairns, who went uh, 5-0 and at Aberdeen. He brought a very unique list, in my opinion. Uh, well, parts of it are unique. Uh, he has a Militarum Tempestis um, uh, Battalion, he used the Tempestus Drop Force, a new Vigilus Defiant detachment in it. So two Tempesto Primes, three Tempestus Scion squads with uh, two plasma guns and a plasma pistol in each, and then a Militarum Tempestus Command Squad, all with plasma guns, two Valkyries to go along with all that. He brought a um, Emperor's Wrath Artillery Company Brigade, I believe is what this is, uh, with Yarick, a Colonel Strachan, a company commander, Six infantry squads with a few mortars mixed in there, a couple astropaths, a Ministorm priest, three armored sentinels, two basilisks, and uh, trip mortars. And finally, he has a Blood Angels Supreme Command detachment with two uh, smash captains and chief librarian Mephiston. I love Mephiston. So do I. He's amazing. Even with the points increase, he's still so good. Well, yeah. Uh, so. Before we before we go on, um, I would like to give a shout out to Mr. Sean, who went four and one. Sean Morgan, Aberdeen. yeah, not Mr. just Sean, Mr. Sean, abuse, pu- abuse puppy, <laughs> Mr. Abuse puppy, sir, uh, who went puppy four and abuse. one with his Eldar. Um, <clears throat> also, uh, there were um, three orc players in the top five. Or I guess in the top six, I could say both orc players were tied for for fifth place. Um, yeah. And and that's kind of that's I think that's really telling, um, considering that you're in your top ten, you had four orc players. Uh, so orcs are definitely going to show up, and I imagine I haven't even looked at these lists yet. I imagine that like two or three of these lists are just really weird, random, off the wall lists, and then two other lists are probably really standard orc lists. You're wrong. They're all basically the same. Oh, they're all they're all the exact same list. Well, not the exact same. I shouldn't be so sorry. <laughs> Val gets really mad when I don't mention the 200 points difference between each list. So one of them did, I think two of them brought, sorry, one of them brought commandos. The rest went with the normal, like. Hey guys, we're back. Uh, you might have noticed a sudden interruption in the last seconds of the podcast. Uh, essentially what happened was while we were talking about orcs, a uh, raging orc wah came into my house and forced me to click on the stop recording button and explain to me that orc lists are all different and every single orc is its own special snowflake and they all have different personalities. They all have different teeth. Uh, yes, they use the word teeth, teeth with an F instead of a T-H at the end. Uh, and so we are now restarting the podcast uh, with a new spirit and a new thought in our heads. And we're going to move on to the last tournament really quick. Uh, we're going to talk about the an event that happened in Australia, and then we're going to announce uh, the big CanCon announcement. So take it away, Josh. All right. So uh, the Eightfold Path uh, was a 34-player, only three-round uh, event. It was just a one-dayer in Victoria, Australia. Uh, basically, it's while, yes, it's its own event, it was used as a, as a lead-up to our CanCon, which is uh, the equivalent for us at least in Australia, of LVO, um, so ITC, big uh, event, etc. Um, so as a result, being a three-round event, you've actually got quite a few people undefeated, so I'll 
just quickly smash through the top four. So Matt Morisoli um, took out first place with um, three massive wins. Um, so Matt Morisoli has been dominating the um, Australian scene uh, for, well, quite some time. Um, I was just having a, a quick look at some uh, stats before. Um, he only lo he's lost three games in three games, maybe more than three games. He's sitting at 76% uh, win rate uh, at the moment um, and um, doing quite well. Um, he took a what's his list. Uh, he took a battalion detachment of chaos. Uh, with a Corn Prince with Axe to take on the Knights, Poxbringer, uh, 30 blood, sorry, 28 Bloodletters, 29 Plaguebearers, and 10 Horrors. Then he took a Battalion of Zench, so that's got a mix of Thousand Sons and uh, Demons with a Change Caster, Sorcerer, 25 Horrors, then 29 and 21 Zangors, so your double Zangor bomb. And then Supreme Command of Thousand Sons, so Ironman on a disc, Demon Prince, and then two Sorcerers on discs. He's been taking a variant of this for the better part of, uh, I'm going to say the last year. He's been alternating between this and the Sisters list and dominating with both, so um, this is one of my picks for winning uh, CanCon. Yeah, I, I love this list a lot. Me and, me and Matt are pretty good mates, and we've, we've actually travelled up to the last two CanCons together. I'm um, not going this time because actually I'm not playing, but he's taken a variant of this list to about everything for the last six to eight months, and he's really got it refined now. He was taking um, double Zangor bombs previously, although he's still taking two Zangor bombs, isn't he? Yes. Yep. But he's also got the horrors. He's also got the bloodletters. He's got the bloodletters there because he like he'd go to a, a five or six game event and he'd have that one game where both Zangor bombs don't fail their charge, and he's just like, well, I just really need when I need a clutch clutch charge, the the bloodletters go and go, do the job. Yeah, so so uh, go ahead and mention the other three players in the top four and just yep. their factions, and then we'll just sure. jump right into CanCon. Uh, so uh, Robert Lane, also on three wins, was with Necrons. Um, Adam Camilleri, so uh, yeah. <laughs> this guy. You might want to talk about this one because it's me. Um, with uh, Custodes and Andrew Armstrong with Orcs. So of those top four... Matt Morisoli, Adam Camilleri are both Australian ETC players, and Andrew Armstrong is the Australian ETC coach. So, Watch wow. out, America. We're coming for you. Uh-oh. They're coming. coming. They know how to win 30-person GTs. Yeah, yeah. We got this well. covered. You guys are going to <laughs> I'm joking. I'm nothing. joking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shots so, fired. <laughs> Grab um, I'm putting it out there. So uh, Josh mentioned uh, their event, CanCon, which is the Australian flag event flagship event and i believe it's uh in northern australia like the Mid. exact opposite what no. what's up no it's in it's in uh australian capital territory it's the smack bang in the center on the east coast in the center of the east coast australia uh the reason why cancon is so cool is because not only do they have these these uh large this large event in australia for all the people on australia uh but they also do kind of similar things to what the lvo does and the itc does uh they announce the australian itc champion they uh give out awards they have a giant convention they have um basically it's like the lvo of australia uh for australia um 
and it's the week before, or it's it's usually before LVO too. I believe last year, I think they happened at the same time or near the same time. Close um, to as is on the yeah. as is on the Australia Day weekend, so um, it's the same time each year for us. Right. So uh, Adam and Josh uh, would like to announce something about CanCon that I think is pretty cool. Let's take it away, Adam. The, who wants to do the honors? I'll do the honors. So um, we've been networking quite closely with the Chapter Tactics team. We're trying to do something pretty new, pretty innovative. So firstly. Um, naturally, we, Josh and I, um, run in, uh, well, Josh mostly runs um, Down Under Pairings, which is a, a pairing software like Down Under, like um, Best Coast Pairings. But because uh, the need for having the scores uploaded is directly after the event so they can give away prizes, um, CanCon uses Best Coast Pairings. Bastards, but it's fair enough. Um, so we are going to be manually putting in all the data, all the wins, all the losses. Josh and I, after every round, is going to be chucking that into um, Down Under Pairing so we can extrapolate this gigantic ball of data and feed it to a very select special group of men called from you're listening to right now. So the Chat Tactics crew has come on board the CanCon stream and are going to be jumping in at the end, towards the end of every day and talking stats, stats and nothing but stats. Who's winning, what's winning, how are they winning, how big are they winning? So many amazing things to be had. Yeah, and it, so it, it's it's really cool from a a kind of like a tournament coverage perspective um, because we get to look at the event from uh, outside looking in and look at those stats and then kind of give you guys analysis on the spot uh, on top of what Adam and Josh are going to be doing in terms of uh, just announcing the event and explain what's going on. And I imagine they might talk stats too during the event as well. Um, but it should create an interesting viewing experience for you guys. Um, so if you guys uh, like what what you hear, Adam, where would they go to view this, the CanCon event? So starting at about 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the 25th, we'll be starting our stream of the first day of CanCon. It's three games. Sorry, sorry. It's three days, eight games. Um, we technically have a top eight, but not really. Everyone, the different format is that everybody at CanCon plays eight games. Uh, it's in a big shed during during the middle of summer, so it's like big bo filled nerd room. It's great, but um, <laughs> apart from that, so we're going to have uh, our Twitch going, which is uh, Twitch, um, you know, TV slash down under underscore network, and that's our Twitch channel. You can find us on there. We'll be streaming everything. We're going to be commentating on everything. Um, Josh and I got a nice big overlay. We're going to have some fantastic tables. I think we're going to be using all Frontline Gaming terrain um, to represent Ooh. you guys. As I know, Frontline Gaming has helped out the CanCon um, tournament quite considerably with that first place prize, which is a trip to the 2020 LVO, which I think is um, all expenses paid from what I can yeah, tell. Yeah, so my, minor is... correction. Minor correction from last yep. um, last Chapter Tactics podcast. It's not the 2019 LVO because um, you'd then have to get on a plane within a week. <laughs> um, the, it's the 2020. Which is still... Reese Richard Robbins. So it's still massive. Doing? It is absolutely it's massive. It's still great, but it's come a on. phenomenal prize. It's the biggest it prize. It needs to be now. Well, I think anyway, it's a, apart from like top, the first place at the LVO, I think this is the biggest prize um, given away at a tournament. Apart from like top place the LVO last the, year, I think this is the next biggest the, prize. The value of this is probably more than the top prize of LVO. It's is it pretty fantastic. This year though, I'm not sure about this year. This year's like six thousand bucks, isn't it? Oh, okay. Um, this one would be more like two and a half, three. I don't know. But past that, um, you guys can expect um, wall-to-wall coverage of this event, in, uh, like in-depth analysis of lists, um, on-the-spot commentary. 
we're going to have some roaming people keeping up with the best tables. We've taken some inspiration from a few other notable um, streamers. And on top of that, we're trying to do something brand new by bringing on the uh, Chapter Tactics team, um, headed up by Peter the Falcon, with all your stats knowledge, to talk about, you know, everything worth knowing. There's going to be so much, so much to take in, guys. Think about um, professional sports and how they'll have, they'll you know switch to their side co- their analytic team to you know talk about how this player is performing or how this guy's you know sh- how many jump shots he's hitting. Th- that is literally what we're trying to do. And the so, stuff that they're yep. sorry, Josh, you go, you go. Yeah. This so some it. of the stats we we've um, we we did a test run uh, with the thirty four player event eightfold path um, on the weekend. Uh, so a much smaller data set than obviously a 150-player eight-round event. Um, but you know some of the things we're tracking, you know most popular secondaries, what the average number of points people are scoring per secondary. Um, you know, so for example, at the eight-fold path, um, players average 2.85 points per secondary. There's a whole bunch of stats that I'm still yet to decide just how important they are. Um, but um, you know. Working out that ground control, for example, was quite you know reasonably popular um, on the weekend, but did a rubbish. Not many people scored many points. So, not many people scored many points. So, um, you know, discipline and try and work out well. You know, are there any obvious trends? You know, and if you are a player, you know, for example, who plays maybe Imperial Knights, you know, what are the top Imperial Knights players doing? What sort of secondaries they picking? Um, that kind of that kind of deal um, and as far as I'm aware um, no other no other stream is going to have any data or anything like this um, especially not live no yeah, and well, the stuff to... you guys are pulling pretty impressive um, and, and not just for not just for like uh, like fun knowledge but uh, for like the ITC and tournament play as a whole, um, like I know you guys are going to be trying to track um, who goes first, and we're going to be looking at uh, win rates for who goes first versus who goes yep. second, but, uh, not just uh, like overall, but per faction. Um, like you've already mentioned, the secondaries, what what secondaries are working for what people. Um, we're, you're looking at uh, tournament, like a game times. So what faction, yep. what's the average game length for different factions? This is all like so really important only stuff. Only 36% of the games on the weekend um, finished. Like that's, that's really important wow. stuff, I think. Um, um, and... and I actually feel as though that's probably a high number for ITC as far as I, you know, as far as what I've been seeing. Yeah. And, all right. So... This is all exciting stuff. Uh, unfortunately, Adam's got to go f- talk to some bad guys. Um, <laughs> got to go do down my job, under. guys. While we're recording this at what? This is like 7.30, 8.30 Pacific Standard Time. This is actually right smack bang towards the end of my afternoon at work. So unfortunately, I've got to... Ba- right, oh, we bye, will. Thanks for coming oh, on, buddy. Will. But thanks a bunch, Adam. So not yeah, we should Adam's have him gone. more often. He's way smarter than I am. <laughs> uh, so, so now that Adam's gone, Josh, what yes. is the silliest thing Adam's ever done in a game of 40K? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> he got us. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just block him real quick. Yeah. All right. So, um, jo- joking aside, Josh, uh, the uh, I'm so glad to have you and Peter on together because you guys are both kind of stats guys, 
and I know that you, Josh, uh, you're the stats guy for for Australia. And when Peter was talking about some of the stuff that um, that you could pull from your knowledge database, I was a little, you know, a little weary because I, I've heard a lot of that stuff come from other people in the past. Um, people like Peter, people like Peter, or similar to Peter, will they say, "Oh yeah, PD Pop, all I need is." is this, this, and this, and then I'm going to come on your episode, and I'll be able to tell you how many times Sean Naden farts while Nick Notavati is also rolling four sixes. And I'll be like, oh, okay, well, that sounds really cool, but um, what do you need? And they're like, well, all I need is it's really, really easy. We just need everyone to download this app and spend 10 bucks, and also give us their firstborn and also <laughs> uh, uh, denounce their religion and political alliance. And... and and I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. So, so joking aside, uh, Josh, uh, one thing that I did like about um, what you guys are talking about is how complete your stats are and how many people are dedicated to giving you the information you need. Um, so, could you tell tell everyone a little bit more about how where you get your stats from, what the process is, um, just kind of like a basic thing? Yeah. So, uh, I guess there's there's multiple levels of stats that you know, just like. Um, uh, 40kstats.com there's only you know some tournaments you get lots of details other tournaments you don't get much um, so uh, down on a pairings uh, which is uh, the pairing site that I've uh, been writing managing etc for probably three years now um, has a, a large number of Australian events not all I'd probably say um, it's of of the larger events it's probably got 50 percent ish um, of of the events using it um, most of the ones in uh, Western Australia a lot of the ones in Victoria and now a lot of the ones in Queensland so pretty much there's one state holding out um, using best coast pairings pretty much exclusively um, and they so, also use comp there right a bunch of filthy animals well not so much anymore um, so when eighth edition dropped um, pretty much, comp died uh, in Australia with the exception of a few um, uh, big name events that have had it as you know part of their their culture for the life of the event um, so the biggest event in Australia is actually called uh, arc 40k uh, and that'll have 200 players um, this oh my year gosh um, uh, however that is uh, 1350 points. Um, a big army composition score, which is judged by a panel of judges. So basically you submit your army list about a month or two in advance. It varies each year, but about that. Uh, and the they then judge how strong it is. Um, so it's, look, it's a, it's a controversial topic, I guess, on the competitive, um, competitive scene. Um, but what you end up seeing is a huge amount of variety um, at the event. Uh, because, of course... You know, you're not going to see well. You're not going to see an uh, an all night list. It just will not be there um, because it can't win. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter if you win so, all your games. If you bring a list that is um, quote unquote too strong, um, then you'll get penalised. Think so, of it like so a golf handicap. Right. So, so, so the, for those of you who don't who don't know what comp is, uh, I'm I'm going to try and explain it in only the only way an American can. And that's if someone tells you what to do, and <laughs> you don't like it, and now you got to throw all their tea in a harbor. Uh, joking, joking. Um, obviously. So, uh, basically, with comp, it, you have you have a either a panel of judges or a community or some sort of 
body, organized body of individuals um, who who issue points or scores uh, based off of how how good a unit is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that give rank. They, it gives ranks to you. You know what, Josh? You'd explain this. Yeah, you look, explain the, the, the best... comp is to Americans. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so I'll I'll use a. Um, when community comp, which was a, a reasonably large thing in Australia um, during uh, 6th and 7th edition, um, different units would get um, allocated what was referred to as credits. Um, certain unit combinations would get credits, and you can only have a certain number of credits in an army. So basically, and I'll give actual examples, you know, you, if I go with Screamer Council, which was a big you know, powerhouse list in 6th in edition, um, you go, well, all right, um, if you take Fate Weaver with a Grimoire, then you're going to get hugely penalized. But if you take a Screamer Council without Fate Weaver, then you're not penalized as much. Probably still a bit. Um, so it's not just units, but also combinations. But that is pretty much a dead system in Australia. Um, also a correction from the last um, take that, chapter Jeff. tactics. Um, yeah, community comp's gone. Um, there, there, there is there is no document uh, at all, not even a draft of any kind uh, for Eighth Edition. Um, but yes, so comp comp is uh, still uh, going in a couple of events in Victoria, but I'm fairly confident to say outside of Victoria, it just doesn't get used. Yeah, uh, Peter, are you still here? I am still here. I'm oh, always okay. here. He was just the Falcon was just quietly watching us, uh, making sure it's this magical mute button I have on my microphone. <laughs> uh, so, so moving on from comp, um, let's talk about uh, the stats again. So let's talk about the stats yep. in your stats process. Uh, how how deep are you able to go, and what's the process like for um, if someone like if someone wanted to submit scores and or, or use down under pairings um, to get these kind of stats? How would that go about doing it? What's the process? Yeah, for sure. There? So down under pairings uh, has uh, fairly dynamic uh, score sheets, um, uh, so you can pretty much set them up to work how a, a paper score sheet would work. Um, so if I use last weekend's example, um, when players entered their scores, not only did they put in how many points they uh, made for the primaries, they also selected from drop-down boxes the three secondaries they used, and they put in the points there as well. Um, so the way we get the stats is the players enter the data. Um, you know, you take a you take a score sheet on a phone, um, and away it goes. So, so everyone submits their scores manually. Um, so everyone submits their scores. Um, so, for example, when you you know when using Best Coast pairings, um, and you you um, open up the app and you go, all right, I played um, I played Adam, and you enter your scores. It's like that, but instead of just entering um, your total score, you're also selecting which secondaries you used, um, and there's just a few more fields. Okay, and then that, in combination with uh, army lists, gets you all the data you need. Exactly. So um, okay. army lists are submitted um, within within the site. Um, not too different, I guess, uh, in essence, to um, best coast pairings. However, we don't. Um, um, well, technically, it does support images. Uh, we don't encourage it because, um, uh, of course, that makes it very difficult to do data analysis. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's, 
so you ran you ran BCP or ran down under pairings yep. uh, at the uh, event, the thirty person event that you mentioned earlier. Yes. Um, what are some interesting stats that we can get from that event using down under pairings? Sure. Um, so down under pairings. Sure. Um, so uh, some of the very similar, I guess, in nature to um, what you see on uh, 40kstats.com. So, you know, which factions, how many lists and um, primaries and secondaries and all that sort of thing. Um, we're also tracking points um, per detachment. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, for example, knights, there was 8,810 points worth of knights. Um, so I'm saying the number of detachments is probably more relevant, but we have the data, so it's just interesting to look at. Um, uh, you know, they're being able to track units, um, both um, how many times it was used, um, how many lists included them, and uh, model count. Um, so uh, yeah, so for example, there was 301 um, models from infantry squads across eight lists, um, 135 orc boys across three so lots of um uh interesting things to to keep track of i think the the ones that i find interesting are less around the ones that are obvious i mean everyone knew that there was going to be a big number of you know infantry squads and everyone knew there was going to be lots of orc boys but it's the the random little units that um that you don't often see and you go well you know are they winning are they not you know um that kind of stuff um, there was talks about uh, win ratios, so 46% of the people who went first um, won their games. Sorry, is that the right way of putting that? Yeah, you have a 46% chance of winning um, if you went first. So more people were winning going second than they were going first. But yeah. we've also got that by faction. Um, so, you know, 100% of Necrons, Chaos, Adeptis, Custodio, Custodies and Guard, when they went first, they won the game. Wow. So, obviously, you know, it, you have, you're have you working with a limited data pool here. Exactly. Um, but uh, when you bring it to CanCon, have, oh, so one thing I've noticed with limited data pools is that uh, there's still trends in them. Uh, and then when you expand them to, uh, to include bigger events or, or larger data pools... Those trends still kind of uh, occur, but they're, they're more solidified instead of a theory. Um, so, is there anything that that any trends that you see that might happen in CanCon? Like, for example, do you predict like predict Custodes to win a lot because um, they go first, or, or do, do you do you get where I'm getting at here? Uh, yeah, is there for any... sure. Uh, the the main um, the main trends um, I think you see you will see in smaller fields. Because what, what you find with with smaller fields is you can get a list that can just go, you know, in this example, it's only three games. You know, you can go three games and just dodge, you know, certain archetypes. Whereas, like, Knights, you know, a very polarizing list, won 33% of their games. You know, they actually did really poorly um, at, at the, on the weekend. So, you know, being able to look at polarizing lists or your big, big name lists and going, well, you know, how are they going... Um, that's what I'm, I'm interested in. Tau, I was expecting to see a larger, um, I guess, win ratio. Um, they only won 42% of their games uh, on the weekend. And uh, it actually was worse when they went first, which I guess, being a gunline army, you'd kind of expect that when they went first, they dominated. Um, but in a small field, it, it, it didn't show that. Yeah, well, 
that is kind of interesting. Um, I, I wonder if you were to get like more games, if if that would change. Though well, we're I can't find out in a week. That's true. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Um, <clears throat> but uh, on on that specific subject, I played Tau a lot. I played a lot of Tau matchups in multiple editions. And one thing I like about Tau is they haven't changed a whole lot from edition to edition. They're still essentially the same army, um, pure Tau armies, anyways. Uh, and I, I, I've always found that when Tau go first, uh, it's a tough matchup, and you lose and you lose and you lose until you win the game, um, because Tau armies always just tend to kind of die off in terms of their firepower. Their marker lights are all dead. They start losing steam. Uh, and then eventually they're shooting at you and you have like three models left, but they haven't moved all game and you've been, you know, scoring. Uh, yep. And th- that kind of that kind of play style definitely wants, doesn't want to go first, um, even though you kind of intuitively want to kill your opponent's stuff turn one. What you really want to do is you really want to react to where your opponent is moving and then get that bottom of the turn and kill the things that you really need to kill. Um, something that a lot of tower players, uh, I don't, I think the common tower player probably doesn't uh, do very often because of the the need to kill first and and alpha strike and and kill things before they do anything. Um, th- that is just a theory, though. I don't I don't actually know if that's true or not. So we'll we'll have to wait for uh, CanCon and then more events in the future um, yeah. to see if that trend holds true or not. Um, Peter, it, you're a stats guy. Uh, with this kind of knowledge, what do you think you're going to... What, what are some stats that you really look forward to seeing at, at CanCon? Um, the big stuff for me is going, I think right now, and, and we'll see once 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 it all unfolds, um, big stuff I'm really looking forward to taking a look at are um, how the secondaries roll out, specifically like overall. Um, and this like uh, goes first versus goes second. Um uh, and even to an extent, like how primaries are being scored by faction. Um, these are things that I think will like if, when we know them and when we get a big enough data pool, we'll be, we'd be able to go um, and take a second look at the missions, take a second look at our secondaries and not just go based off of public opinion. Like I know like Reese every, you know, six months or so sends out his little, um, you know, message to the community. Like, Hey, what do you think is good? What do you think is bad about ITC? Um, and it's a wonderful thing that we get everybody involved in trying to pick apart what, uh, pick apart this game and like the competitive side of, of this particular uh, aspect of it. But having the stats behind the, those, um, those complaints or, or what we think <clears throat> needs to be changed is huge. So being able to say, you know, um, uh, maybe, uh, I, I can't think of a particular like Reaper. Maybe Reaper needs to be changed because on average, if you take Reaper, you all, you automatically score like 2.98 points um, and nobody else, no other secondary is like that. Or maybe there's a secondary that averages like decimal two. And so maybe we need to uh, like reevaluate that. Like those are the stats that I'm really interested in seeing. Um, the other thing that I know Josh said he's probably going to be able to do, and and I can't see why not, is not only are we going to be able to look at these secondaries and like these faction performances by, uh, like uh, as a whole, we can look at them by mission. So we can say, you know, hey, it seems to be really way too easy to score the bonus objective on mission four in in the ITC. Yep. Maybe that needs to be reevaluated. Um, like. This is really big, not just for balancing from a, like a GW standpoint, but balancing like the ITC or whatever um, whatever style of play that we're we're tracking at that time. 
Yeah, one of the one of the things um, that that I'm always trying to juggle is is that well the balancing act between the amount of data you want to make those sort of statements um, and actually be able to back them up um, with players actually having to do the data entry. Yeah. Um, so it's it's tricky. Uh, so one of the things um, we're we're seeing at CanCon uh, is they're using uh, best coast pairings to do all the um, the the matchups, the entering of, of total scores, rankings, etc. Um, but they're also making uh, the players still enter, uh, or I should say, still uh, fill out a paper score sheet, uh, which most people I find do anyway because it's just easy to track the game as it goes. Um, you know, you just tick the boxes as you know at the end of each turn, etc. Uh, and but then. Uh, Adam and I, uh, and however many helpers we can, uh, are going to be f- putting those into Excel spreadsheets and importing them uh, directly into um, down under pairings, where we'll then have all the data. Um, so we've, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, and, and that that's actually a huge implication. That's I'm glad that Josh uh, got there because you know we were talking about this a little bit earlier um, with the kind of the changing of of how 40k consuming 40k is going to change uh, in terms of tournament coverage and i only see this as a positive right so you you have this best coast this tournament that's using best coast pairings to pair their events and you know incorporate the itc into the event so that they're all their players get itc points and on the flip side you've got these players you know uh working with down under pairings to get these kind of next level next gen stats um which 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 is cool because GW is supposed to be the ones who do who do this and typically in years past uh you wouldn't really get this kind of communities working together uh to create this right you would have one community do their whole thing another team another community do their whole thing and then you have another community doing their whole thing and that was kind of what you saw out of 40k 3 or 4 years ago right you had like the ETC you had the community comp guys you had the ITC and then within the ITC you had or within the US you had uh, two or three other sub factions that kind of did their own thing, um, and so that that that's why uh, viewing CanCon and and going to uh, Twitch.tv/slash down under pairings or down under down under uh, TV. I'm sorry, <laughs> close. I forgot. Twitch.tv/slash down under underscore network. Alternatively, you can just search for Down Under Network on Facebook, and all the links are there. Boom. There you go. Uh, but go there. Boom. Check us out. Check down. Go there. Boom. Check us out. Check Down Under Network out. Panels get uh, the more everyone is, the more likely everyone is going to want to work together to create the best possible show, um, w- which is good for everyone, right? We're good for viewers. Good for GW because maybe more new players are watching these streams and getting into 40k. It's good for the consumers. It's it's good for tournament players because they they might get sponsorships and all this good stuff. Uh, so you definitely want to go to twitch.tv slash down under network uh, this weekend and check it out. Uh, it, remember, it's Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time or 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time um, or midnight if you're in the U.K. I think it's midnight. I think it might be 1 a.m. Uh, you, people in the U.K. are going to have a hard time watching it i'm just not google gonna lie it, guys just google it time google it the time zones <laughs> also if you hit um follow on our twitch channel then it will tell you when we're going live 
Um, if you hit the like on our Facebook page, we'll be doing posts on there. So once again, it'll tell you when we're going live. Um, and I have absolutely no idea uh, if uh, Adam has... Uh, no, we have publicized it. Good. I'm glad I have an idea. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, Frontline Gaming, Can Hammer, Glass Hammer Gaming, and uh, BiffPod uh, on Twitch are all hosting uh, our... Uh, Twitch channel on the weekend, so as far as my understanding of how that works, when we go live, even if you haven't followed us, but you followed one of those channels, it's going to tell you. Yeah, which should just be more views. Yep, uh, in theory. Yeah, um, yeah um, we're hoping that uh, it'll be our biggest uh, stream today. It's our biggest event that we've streamed. Um, obviously, with time zones, um, what we see uh, with some of the numbers, because we actually do have a few um, international people watch it um, but quite often we don't get them round one you know round one is at, you know especially on a Saturday is in the middle of a work day um, in the US on Friday so you know it's not until people finish work that they start to then chime on in and we start seeing them on um, you know games two and three yep and that's where the big guns come in in prime time the chapter tactics crew right at the end of the day <laughs> prime time well, I wish yeah. that was my nickname <laughs> so no, you're not Dion. So <laughs> so Falcon put out a uh, put out a, uh, a point before about you know the, the benefits of having these stats. I mean and and seeing maybe things like Reaper, you know, is it or isn't isn't it broken? Um, you know, how much or what sort of average points for a secondary do you feel is actually fair? Like like uh, how many? One out of four, or just so, all right. So, any so for example, for example, the Reaper, um, albeit a smaller event, was played, f was used by forty-one or f used forty-one times um, on the weekend, and of those forty-one times, they averaged three point one seven. Like that's a pretty massive, you know, if you pick the like pick the Reaper, you're getting three or more points. Um, I don't know. I get good? four points on all bad? my secondaries all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is what I would. This is what I would say to that. Um, I think it's too early to say what's good and what's bad. That's why I really love the idea of getting this data um, and why I would love to, for it to go further than just CanCon. I, I sent Pablo a message probably two days ago, and he ignored me because he was too busy. He was like knee-deep in ketchup chips at the time. Um, <laughs> just being like, listen, if, if these like crazy Australian wankers can, can track – 150 other crazy Australian wankers and get them to put in all, all this amazing data. Why can't we do the same um, somewhere over here? I mean, I know that we're backwoods North Americans and LVO is way too big to even try, but what's to stop us from tracking the same kind of data at a BAO or a Nova? Um, just going that extra mile so that we can say, you know, hey, we've tracked 800 games now and Reaper averages, and, and by the way, guys, I'm using Reaper. I'm not saying Reaper's broken. I'm just using it as the example that popped in my head. But Reaper scores 3.2 uh, points over all these 800 games, um, and it's, you know, one and a half points greater than every other secondary. Maybe we need to reevaluate it, or maybe we need to take a look at the meta, because, I mean, it's there's also just, like, meta implications of something oh, like exactly. that, right? If, if Orc Horde becomes a thing, which... Well, which I it think is, it but should. regardless. Yeah, but no, but like if it's, well, yes, but I mean, whether or not that balances out, um, yeah, whether or not I, the meta, I understand but, what you're trying to say. Yeah, so, but assuming it dominates, 
um, then we go, all right, well, Reaper's an obvious choice against Orc Horde. Um, so, you know, I, I think the other important thing is to start looking at, well, you know, of those games where people are maxing out Reaper um, and they're playing against Orc Horde, are they winning the games? You know, just because yeah. ma- if you get four points on Reaper, but you get absolutely demolished by Orc Horde, you know, whoop de doo <laughs> yeah. And like, that's all this kind of stuff that we can get. So we're not just like making assumptions anymore. Mm. And that's really what I've always wanted from these stats. It's the only reason it's the, the reason why I started collecting them myself. Um, it wasn't because I thought I, w- I was going to be good at it. It was because like we've in this hobby, we've made assumptions for like three decades right we just have people that in their local communities have played games and they say well this is good or this is bad or this always beats this Um, and we just kind of say it willy-nilly but are there numbers to back it up and you know nine times out of ten the numbers are there right but it's 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 making sure we have them so we're not just you know spouting garbage out of our mouths because um, we can't beat dan at the local saloon after he's had a few drinks with his Grey Knight army, right? So, mm. yeah. So, so I guess to get into a little more nitty gritty, um, I'm not really so much concerned about secondaries as I am about primaries. Um, in general, I always assume that me and my opponent are both going to score ten to twelve points in secondaries. Uh, usually, in, in my case, I usually just give up full, full twelve and I take the full twelve if, as best as I can. Um, but with primaries, um. The difference between, for example, Sean Naden and uh, the Necron player that he played at at the Golden Sprue um, was, I think it was like 37 to 23 were the two points scores there. And that looks like a near blowout for Sean Naden, but if you think about it, the Necron player got t- max points in secondaries, 12 points. Hypothetically, he might not Did have. He? Probably maybe. not. That list didn't give up a lot of them. We anyway, don't know, continue. but the, the point is is that he scored, with 23 points, you can get max secondaries, and then you kill something and hold something every single turn, Cause, except for once, because once you, you maybe you didn't kill something like on the final turn, or you didn't hold an objective on the final turn, um, but that's, in general, that's actually a pretty good performance for a list, is if you're, if you're scoring 12 points in secondaries and killing and holding something every single turn... You're already doing pretty well. That's 24 points. That's 24 points, and and he scored 23 points. Uh, And that's I would say that if if your list can do that, you're on the right track. And and the next step is is outplaying your opponent so that you're killing more or holding more than them in uh, X amount of turns, right? And so so the big question that the stats brings up is that I want to know is how much easier is it to hold more or kill more? Um, if you go first, if you go second, uh, what army your opponent's playing, what army you're playing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that, in my opinion, that might be the, the hidden formula to winning almost every ITC game. So I think, the reason... with, I think with go these ahead. stats, um, look, there's, there's a number of really high-level stats that I think you can just publish and, and don't require a huge amount of, um, you know, uh, discussion necessarily behind them. So, you know, the... It's good to see things like, you know, what detachments are in use, um, maybe win ratios by factions. But when you actually start getting down to the nitty gritties about, you know, primary points and secondary points, I think you actually have to have a specific question that you're trying to answer um, mm. rather than look at this big mass of data and go, well, all right, what... Because what I was hoping to do from this weekend, um, just gone, was have a look at the smaller pool of data, see if there was anything obvious that jumped out at me, and go, well, all right, 
that that gives me some questions that I can then interrogate when it comes to CanCon compared to mm. you know because we're not gonna you know we're not gonna know um, uh, how CanCon's gonna go until you know we're at least a few rounds in. Um, but it'd be interesting to see at the end of round one and go well, all right, well is there anything that's already going the way we thought it was gonna go? You know the win ratios, the games going to time. Um, you know, everyone's talking about chess clocks being the answer for um, getting your turns in. Uh, one of the, the interesting things CanCon's doing uh, is even if you use the ITC chess clock rules, if you consistently don't get your turns in, it doesn't matter if your opponent doesn't as well. If you don't get your turns in, you're going to get penalized. So how does that work exactly? Cause I have no idea. If, <laughs> if, you have, if you have your chess <laughs> clock here. If you have your chess clock rules right in place... Yep. Uh, and your opponent runs out of time, then you should hypothetically just be able to finish all your turns. Nope. Nope. I don't, uh, that, that's foreign to me. Are you telling me that that people are not finishing their turns even when their opponents have timed out? Per- perfect example. Um, we've had a number of um, situations where um, uh, plague bearers, for example, mass mounts of plague bearers um, are getting timed out, uh, and then it the opponent still gets their turns, but you get to roll saves in their time. Mm. So you, you're still using so so as the as the person who finishes their time, you then get to use some of your opponent's time to roll dice. And as long as you're on objectives, if you've got a horde list list now, plague bearers is one example, but the orc horde will do just as well in my. If you can get onto the objectives in the first few turns, you can still score hold one and hold more. Um, every turn, even if you've timed out. That's why the ITC chess clocks, I don't think quite goes harsh enough. I think you should, if you run out of time, you cannot score any more points. You're done. Mm. Yeah, it's not a death clock for sure. It's, it's it's definitely an incentive. Although I've never lost a game where my opponent timed out. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've had him time out with like with four minutes left on my time and then I basically just you know, rush to turn six to get as many points as possible, because mm. at that point you you need to look. You can't look at the points your opponents are scoring. You have to look at the points that your opponents can't score, and then score those points. So if your opponent can't kill anything anymore, then you just have to look at the next three units you need to kill, and then get hold, and then you get kill more kill, and hold, and then your opponent would get hold hold more, and you would get a net like four points on them. Which yeah, might not be enough guess, to win the game. I guess it, that's why tough. we're seeing in Australia um, the the increase in in demons and demon horde. Um, almost all of the chaos lists um, have plague bearers. Um, they do great in ITC chess clocks because mm. they're really hard to budge. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm not sold on that. I think I'd like to play some of these plague bearers with chess clocks um, because I played a lot of chess clock games and. I don't know. I've been in similar situations, but um, I'm also not like an amazing player. Um, so the players I might have played against who timed out on me might not just be might just be bad. Um, but uh, I don't know. That's that's interesting. Um, th- it might also be like a, a mentality thing uh, or a community meta thing. Um, and in Australia, maybe players play these slow armies um, to kind of match the horde armies that they run into, like the plague bearers. Um, it's that's really interesting. Um, I think that's something we should look at next after next weekend, though. Agreed. For sure. Yeah, we'll have yeah. Well, I have eight rounds of 150-ish players, um, and 
extreme amounts of data. The other thing we're getting uh, is if people timed out, um, what turn they timed out on. What was the average turn that they timed out on um, this weekend? Um, the average turn, 4.39. Okay, that's not bad. Um, but that being said, um, Tyranids, Astromilitarum, Admech, Orcs, Chaos Demons, Dark Eldar, Spacials, Gene Stealer Cult, and um, um, Renegade Knights all got below the average. Um, you had um, the number one player in Australia um, smash out six turns every game. You had Adam Camilleri, one of the Australian ETC team players, um, smash out six turns each game. Which So you've got a number of the players that are just getting their wins in um, that have just bumped that average up in a 34-player event, which is, I think we'll see uh, these numbers, I think will be, I think the average will actually be significantly lower um, uh, when we get to CanCon. Mm. I agree. Uh, another thing is, in my experience watching really good players play, uh, they typically don't tend to time out or they don't tend to um uh they don't tend to be the ones who play slowly. Uh that's not always the case. There there are some players who who are known for playing slowly and for the games not finishing. Um just last year alone there were two players and one game in particular in the top 8 in LVO um where both players were playing really really slow and the game ended uh, extremely prematurely. Um but in general, like I don't see like Sean Naden timing out no matter what the army or Nick Natavati or any of the really good orc players or in general any of the other good players um, unless their opponents are playing slow. So in 7th edition it used to be you, they would play as many turns as their opponent would let them play and then they would just win that way. Um, but with 8th edition now, those guys are all well practiced enough so that they always finish their turns. Um, they might not always finish with a lot of time, um, but they're so well practiced that they, they will finish their game. Uh, and so it's just kind of like on the other player to not time out um, or to keep up with them. It, it, I don't, I don't know. I just well, one, one of the things we will be able to track, um, and um, this comes back down to um, deciding, obviously, you know, how much information you put out there. Um, mm -hmm. I won't be doing um, player names, but I will be. I am considering doing things like, you know, we're obviously doing number of turns completed by faction. I'm thinking about doing it per um, ten percent range. So the top ten percent, like ten, what's hundred? Top fifteen players at a hundred and fifty player event. Um, what's their average turns? You know, right. what's the the next fifteen? You know, sixteen to thirty, and so on. You know, because those sort of statements I hear a lot. You know, the top players are finishing their games. I can tell you now with with actual data to back it up in Australia that it's a hundred percent wrong. Um, the top players are not finishing their games. In Australia. I did. I did say in Australia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's another interesting thing, right? Like the, like how the the world meta is different. There's just so much about this data that I'm I'm really curious about, and we just we're just gonna have to wait till CanCon's done to really get a really good view of it, and then hopefully, you know, in a few months' time, we'll be able to get somebody else involved at some other major in North America, and we can start like you know doing these kind of global trends. Which would just like give me the biggest boner, uh, just oh, unreal. <laughs> I'd I'd probably faint. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. So so I think that's pretty much it, guys. Um, Josh, the Falcon, we're leaving it on you. the boner fainting. That's what we're gonna end this one on. That's exactly what we're gonna. <laughs> I, I can't think of a better time to end the the oh, podcast perfect. on. Good. Good. <laughs> so, 
Josh and Peter, thank you both very much for coming on. Uh, Josh, in particular, thank you for taking the time to not only get all these stats, um, but also to prepare them in a way for other people, people like me, to understand them. Um, And I can't wait to see what kind of stats we can pull from CanCon and in the future, um, maybe even uh, future LVOs, future big ITC events. Um, the sky is the limit. I'm, I'm really, really excited to take a look at these next-gen stats. Uh, so thank you very much for coming on. Remember, listeners, if you want to tune in to Down Under Gaming, Down Under Network, uh, go to twitch.tv slash downundernetwork to take a look at what's going to happen at CanCon. Uh, Peter, myself, Val, and Abuse Puppy will be taking turns at the end of the day at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to talk about the lists, the stats, the best players, predictions, analysis, all that good stuff. Um, so you can tune in then as well. Um, and then, of course, if you are a subscriber to Glass Hammer Gaming, Frontline Gaming, um, or any of the other streams that were mentioned, um, you guys can watch it through that if you wish. Uh, and you can also subscribe to my Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash chapter tactics. It's not finished yet, but the tiers are almost done. Um, and if you want to support the podcast, if you like what we do, pitch a couple bucks our way. Helps us out. And that's pretty much it. Thank you very much for listening. Email me if you have any questions. Frontline Gaming PDPOP at gmail.com. And have a good one.